Welcome to the XYZ Experiment Podcast. And today we've got Dash and myself interviewing a very good friend of mine, Anna. Hello, Anna. Hello. And Anna is, uh, well, you tell us, what generation are you, Anna? I'm definitely Gen X. That's why we bond. Now, tell us what makes you a Gen X. Um, I've been thinking about this one. I think it's probably my love of the John Hughes movies. So Pretty in Pink, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Prince. Now, we've just had an admission from Dash before we started no, taping. I'm horrified. Dash, just tell us. Horrified. <laughs> so I didn't know who John Hughes was, is. He's dead, so he, you can say it was. was. <laughs> and um, of those movies, I've only watched, I think, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You're missing classics. I know. Stuff we grew up on. (laughs) Stuff that made us who we are today. Our fashion choices from those films. I know. But this is why we have this podcast. Yeah, that's right. To talk about all of these different things. (laughs) I also have to say that Pretty in Pink is the best soundtrack movie ever. So if you actually want some really good 80s music, I highly recommend the Pretty Pretty in Pink soundtrack. Now, we've asked Anna on today because... Anna is a friend of mine who's really fascinated me in that she's had a massive career change and and having to go to university during the middle of that to have that career change. So Anna, just tell me a little bit about, well, just tell us first where you were and what you're doing now, and then we'll get into how did this happen. So for the first 20-ish years of my career, I was in marketing, worked as a direct marketer, so sort of doing online and social media in marketing. Mm-hmm. And did you enjoy that? I did. I loved it. It was great. Yeah? It was a lot of fun. And what do you do now? I'm a speech pathologist. <laughs> so for me, there's a real disconnect between the two. How <laughs> on earth do you go from being, you know, in marketing and then suddenly, you know, why, why speech pathology? Um, because there was no money in music therapy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a background in music as a kid. I played the piano, the viola, was in the Tasmanian Youth Orchestra because I grew up in Tasmania. I sang and I still sing, sort of, and that's probably my great love. I wanted to do something different. So, but there is no money in music therapy, especially... All the years ago when I studied, <laughs> like 10 years ago, and it was pre-NDIS and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and I had a friend who's a music therapist and she worked in a speech pathology clinic and yep. she said, look, if you want to bring in some of your music therapy, you can do that with speech pathology, but there'll always be a job in speech pathology, so why don't you give that a go? So I went and watched at a clinic that she worked at a couple of sessions and went, yeah, okay. But that was a long journey to get to that point. So can we backtrack just because I'm curious about this? So you grew up loving music and obviously very talented because you can play all of this and I do all of this. I wouldn't very talented. But was, I love music, yeah. But in the first instance, how come you didn't follow that passion? I wasn't good enough. Okay. I was good but not good enough to be a soloist. I would have been in the back desk of the violas in some rubbish orchestra or the back of... Opera Australia as a bit of an extra. So that was one of it. And I was very unconfident and I didn't want to be told I was rubbish. Okay. And I didn't want to fail. And it was kind of almost in that I'm too scared to be told that I'm not good enough that I didn't want to try. Yeah. (laughs) So I didn't try. (laughs) And so then when you went down the marketing 
route that was a safer option? Um, I don't know, actually. So my dad wanted me to be an engineer and I was never going to be an engineer. <laughs> so, but he was really, he sort of said, oh, why don't you try PR? So I did some work experience like when I was 15 in PR and went, oh, I quite like the idea of this. And then the woman told me I needed to be a journalist. So then I went and did work experience at the Mercury in Tasmania and went, not if hell freezes over, am I being a journalist? Yeah. So then I went to my careers counsellor. I'm very nerdy. God, this sounds so nerdy. I was 16. I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but um, I went to my careers counsellor and we looked for courses and what courses had PR. So I looked at all the courses and worked out what all the prerequisites were and did all the prerequisites and then applied. And I got accepted into Canberra and I applied into what was then the Warrnambool Institute of Advanced Education, now Deakin University, yeah. and I didn't get in. But I rang them and they said, why didn't I get in? And they said, oh, because you didn't get your HSC. And I said, yes, I did get my HSC and I've sent you the letter and I've done all the other stuff that you had to do. And she said, oh, we'll, let, we'll have a look and we'll let you know by the end of the week or next week or something. And I said, oh, well, actually, I've already got a position. So if you don't let me know by the end of this week, then I'm going to take that. And I had a position that day. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Which was a real lesson in persistence. And a friend had actually told me that that's what I should do. So I just thought, what have I got to lose? Yeah. Which is kind of a lesson I took or I have taken for much of my life of what have I got to lose? So give it a go. So tell me, you do the 20 years of PR, right? Oh, and no, I've actually... So I did a PR degree, but I've yeah. never worked in PR a day okay. in my life. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, never. Yeah, so what did you do? Marketing. So, yeah, yeah so marketing. I mean, it's okay. sort of... PR and marketing, they're the opposite sides of the same coin, but kind of the antithesis of each other where yeah. I ended up. It was just sort of this weird kind of just applying for things and giving things a go and... And getting it each and time. And getting it each time. And I had no plan. There was absolutely no plan to get into marketing to end up sort of what I was doing. Were you enjoying it? I was and then I'd always wanted to go overseas so I did and um, that was my, my so my very first overseas trip I was 27 and I went for two and a half years. <laughs> um, Were you doing marketing over in the yeah, UK? Yeah so in the UK I worked for a small ISP called Demon Internet which was part of Scottish Telecom which became thus and that's when I kind of learnt that I actually was a marketer. Okay. okay. I sort of realised in that point, oh, I'm not just about Telstra. I actually know things about marketing and I understand the tech and I'm quite good at this. So that was sort of the first time that I kind of went, oh, this is actually what I do and I quite like it and it's fun. And, um, yeah, and I had a really good time. And then I also loved living in the UK and... Um, but who I worked for didn't um, sponsor visas, so I applied for jobs where I thought they would, and I kind of had four key companies on my wish list, which was the first time in my life I'd kind of gone, I really want something. And I ended up working for lastminute.com in the UK, sort oh, of okay. around just after the big dot-com bubble, but it was amazing, mm. and I was working you know, sort of for the biggest brand in the M25 and it was all very hip, cool and groovy for somebody who wasn't very hip, cool and groovy, but I kind of got caught up in the fun of it and it was awesome, really, yeah. really cool. Tell me, because it sounds like your career was going really great. You've come back to Australia. What, what made 
did you suddenly decide to change? So I came back to Australia. I was very unhappy. It took me a while to get my find my feet. And then I found my feet in a PA job because I kind of realised that I went from being... I was trying really hard not to fail and then I kind of went into... Um, I need to change this around and show how people how good I was. Yes. Um, which is just a mental change that really showed me, oh, because I was doing a job that I knew I'd be good at and I'd been trying really hard at all these other jobs and doing so badly. And then I realised that it was just that attitude. Somewhere in the middle of all of that, I decided to go back and do my Masters in Marketing. I had a PR degree. I didn't really have that knowledge in marketing. And I think that whole... I remember someone saying to me, men go and do master's degrees to get the next big job and women do it to kind of validate that they need to go where they want to be. That's really interesting. Yeah. True. Um, And that was very much me. Yeah, so I did my master's, really enjoyed it, and that kind of gave me the confidence How long did that take, the master's? Longer than it should have. Yeah. (laughs) because my master's thesis took me really long to do because I'm not... I always go to people who can do a PhD, go to because <laughs> I do not have that kind of internal drive at all. Yeah, so I got that... I think I finished in about 2006. I started in 2002. That's not that long. No, but the last project, like... I, I it felt it took, long. It, it took me like a year longer than it should. Yeah. I feel like it's a real Gen X thing, you know, that drive, that got to do it, got to do it, got to do it. It's just the way that Gen Xs were brought up, I reckon. Yeah. And you were doing it part-time or full-time? Yeah, so I was doing it part-time. So I was working full-time yeah, and, so. <laughs> and studying part-time. It's Gen X. Um, so I still haven't got to. You've done so much in that area. And, and then all I went to horse sudden, racing. Yeah. <laughs> so from there I then went to horse racing, which I loved. It was great. And I loved working in horse racing. It was fantastic but then things sort of changed in that industry a little bit and again my position was made redundant that's when I kind of went I was sitting at I used to go to a cafe every morning to get my coffee on my way to work and I became quite good friends with the owner who I'm still very good friends with and still have coffee with every morning many 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 years later and I remember going to his cafe after I'd been made redundant and going I need to find something else yeah. Um, or I need to be fine. So I worked in marketing. I'd been through two big spill and fills um, where I'd gotten jobs and then I'd been through equivalent and I'd had two redundancies. And I was probably 38, 38, 39 at the time. And I kind of went, I either have to learn to deal with the fact that I'm going to be made redundant every four years and be cool with it and not get this so emotional about it or I need to find a new career. Yeah. Yeah. I met a bunch of people actually through this cafe that I went to who all did really different things. So most of my friends at that point, up to that point, so we were all corporate people yeah. and we all worked in corporate marketing and we all did the corporate marketing gig. And I kind of looked around and I realised that I didn't have the personality to be a customer, chief marketing officer or anything like that. I just, I don't have the personality. I have all the energy that you need for that, but I have too much emotion. Okay. (laughs) And I take things too personally. And I don't, I'm not in inverted commas boy enough. Um, I get very emotional and I get very upset. And when you say you get emotional, 
what do you get emotional about in those roles? Um, if I don't, if I stuff something up or okay. things go wrong or whatever, I was very bad at dealing with uh, not being perfect. Which, I was just you know, going to ask you: Do you yeah. would you classify yourself as a perfectionist? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Very much. Yeah. And if I can't do it perfectly, then I don't bother doing it. So I mean that really weird. So it's a kind of perfectionist sabotaging cycle, which is interesting because it sounds like even your career narrative to date is that you chose the jobs or did the things that you knew you wouldn't fail at or were good at. Yes. Not necessarily the ones that might have been your passion. Um, uh, no, it was kind of when oppo- I very much was when an opportunity came up, I would just throw my hat in the ring and see what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it didn't work out, it wasn't going to upset you because you threw your hat in the ring. Yes. As yeah. opposed to going, I'm going to totally pursue this because it's my... My absolute, absolute passion. passion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very, okay. yeah, no. Um, and my passion probably in the marketing world would have been to work for an arts organisation. I looked around and I was like, where are the women over 50 in marketing? And, what are, and I'm like there's not really a lot of them here and I'm not sure that I'm the trailblazer that's going to be there doing whatever and I wasn't going to go any higher and I didn't really want to go higher because I knew I didn't have the personality for it. So it was sort of like, well, am I just going to keep doing this? Okay, if it's not what I want to do for the next 20 years, what do I want to do for the next 20 years? And did you know the answer to that? No, I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my passion was singing, but I knew that I was well beyond any of that as a profession anymore and if one person more person had said to me go on the voice Anna or no what was it back then it was um idol idol an yeah. idol you're gonna go on idol Anna? Yeah. I'm like, no I'm a classical singer for starters yeah yeah, yeah. you and could have been a Susan Boyle oh hells to the no um <laughs> <laughs> no um I do not fit the mold <laughs> that um and yeah no not who I am at all so I just kind of went okay so and then I just sort of started going through well I don't want to be a doctor and I don't want to work in IT and I don't want to be a nurse and I don't want to be and I don't want to be and I knew all the things that I didn't want to be but what I did know was I wanted something that I could do until I was 70. Yeah. Um, I've been I'm single and I'm the key breadwinner for me and my cat and I have a mortgage so I knew I needed to pay my mortgage so I thought I've got to you know I'm going to have to work for a reasonable amount of time Um, I need to keep busy I'd like something that I can do part-time I like the idea of helping people I like the idea that it was what I was selling was something that was a skill that somebody wanted not my brain which I don't know if that makes sense but I didn't want to be a marketing consultant it's too much selling of me and having to do the hustle and I kind of didn't want to have to do the hustle about me yeah um so I never thought of it like that it really is yeah Yeah. and I was just like I had no I just knew that I didn't want to have to sell me all the time it just even now just thinking about it I go (laughs) bit cringe Yeah. yeah and it's just it's not who I am um you know I'm very much in that self-deprecating kind of backward back role. I mean, I'm very I'm very extroverted and I love to be front and centre in a lot of things, but not in that way. Yeah. So what was it like going back to university? How many years <laughs> and what was that experience? How old were you when you were studying university again? I, I was 41. 
So I'd had these sort of seen these friends that had different lives and I thought, I think I want this different life. So, you know, people go, oh, Anna, you've moved to your passion. And I'm like, no, I just kind of found something that I thought would be fun and interesting. Mm. And it kind of ticked all the boxes of it's helping people. I can do it for a long time. Oh, and I, the, other, the other criteria was I could do it out of the front room of this a house that I'm going to own at some point in the future yep. <laughs> yeah. if I wanted to. Yeah. So you could work um, from home. Yeah. yeah. That kind of is where it sort of started. So I looked into trying to get into a course, Latrobe, that offered it, and that was a four-year degree. Yeah. So I went, I applied. I thought, we'll see how we go. And I think I, no, I can't remember if I applied to get into their master's course as well, but I, I honestly can't remember. But I applied through VTAC and sort of all my childhood <laughs> came back to me of reapplying through VTAC and all that kind of stuff. And then I, in the December, I got offered a position. So you got offered a position in the undergrad or the master's? In the undergrad. Yeah. And I went, okay, this, this could be a thing. Yeah. So I accepted the position and then I went to my boss at Telstra where I was working and they sort of had a flexible working. And I said, look, I really think I want to go and do this. But I didn't want to go... Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to go and give up a very good job that I had to go to a career that I had no idea whether it was what I wanted to do or whether I could actually even study again. So I thought I'll be a bit strategic around this. So I did part-time. So I was working like, I think... 93, 87% and 92% in the both semesters. And I did, I thought I'll do the subjects that I think will be the hardest. So I did anatomy and physiology and I did a couple of elective subjects that you have to do. I started and I did it part-time and, but yeah, going back to uni, I was 40, 41 and I was with a bunch of 18-year-olds. Yeah, because I was going to say going into the undergraduate degree would be very different to going into a master's it degree. Was, yes. And so, yes, you are with the 18-year-olds. <laughs> I was. So what are your reflections of hanging out with 18-year-olds as a 40-year-old at that time? It was really hard for a bunch of reasons, but when someone said to me, um, you need to remember you're probably the first adult that they've had an adult relationship with. Yeah. That's you know, not their parent. That's not their parent or a teacher or a family friend. And I went, I probably am. Yeah. So I kind of gave them all a bit of a break after that. It sort of took, there was a bit of what are you all doing and you're all so young and I am so old. It was different, but I kind of just went, okay, let's just rock to roll with it and see what happens. You did. And so how did you also find the actual process of studying? Uh so that was really hard. So I'd done, obviously I'd done my master's in marketing, but there were no exams. And then suddenly I went back to this whole undergrad situation where there were exams again. And I was like, my life is too short for these things. Yeah. And never in my life have I not been able to Google something or look it up in a textbook or anything like that. So I found it really hard to just go, okay, I have to study for exams and I have to cram again and I... I and you were working during this time too. Yeah, so yeah. I was working um, and studying and just trying to cram all this anatomy and physiology stuff into my head. <laughs> that, and I, when you do... So when I did marketing, I already had all the business knowledge when I did my master's in marketing and when I'd done my undergrad, I was young and I had the ability to cram. 
but now I was doing this math, this undergrad again, and I needed to cram, but I didn't have the cram capability. And you had no anymore. background in it either. I had no background, Nothing. so I couldn't go back and go, oh, remember when I learned, whereas I was doing master's in marketing, it was I learned this and I was doing this at work and it all kind of made sense and it all slotted in. And then I'm doing this, you know, let's look at the heart and how the heart works and all the chambers and la, 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 la. And I'm just sitting there going, but I don't know what they're talking about. It, but you did it, though. It must have been exhausting. Yeah. Was it exhausting? Because psychologically and, and physiologically, like, it, it's got to be a bit exhausting. Yeah, I think it was. But uh, there was just a level of... I mean, uni's only 12 weeks a year, so yeah. you sort of kind of go, well, it's 12 weeks and then 12 weeks and a couple of weeks here and you yeah. just kind of go, oh, you know, how you can do anything for 12 weeks. Yeah. Well, you click yourself brain into, trick your brain into thinking it. Yeah. Um, Cause, but, you know, it's interesting because 12 weeks in adult world is a short time. Yes. 12 weeks in the 18-year-old's world is forever. Yeah. And so you probably had that level of... Uh, perception that yeah. helped you get through that 12 weeks, even if the subject was super hard. Yeah. And I found uh, anatomy and physiology, I found difficult just because it was a whole different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That a whole I, different language. Yeah. And it was, you know. Well, it is literally Latin. Literally Latin. Latin. <laughs> you know, it was like, I remember um, xerostomia, which is dry mouth. And I'm like, can we just not say dry mouth? Like, why do we, do we really need to use the Latins of all the different things that, you know. I now know more about the Latin things, you know. Like, yeah. And I go, oh, why do we have to use all these special terms? Like, does it really matter what we call them? <laughs> While you were doing it, Anna, um, like in that first year and it's hard, but you kept going, so you must have been in- enjoying it. Is that the word for it or was it overwhelming or what was it? I think more and more I realised that I didn't want to be in the corporate world. Okay. I think I just I knew that she had real purpose. I was just done with yeah. that, and I wanted to do something different. And I could, even though, like the first year, I wasn't really doing anything that was mm. vaguely related to speech pathology. I was like, I think this is where I want to be. Okay, mm. yeah. And I can't tell you what made me think that, but I was like, I just, I was like, I think this is what I want to be doing. Okay. Um. And I don't know why. I could. <laughs> I wish I had some very, you know, amazing thoughts to give. Because you, I, I feel, don't. I feel like as an adult, you know, you're in your forties. You know, you can do a career elsewhere. It would just be so easy to just go, oh, this is too hard, and just walk away. Because it's, it, it would have been. Yeah. Oh, and and um, so that's so I did really well, relatively, you know, studying because university really changed from when I did my undergrad to when I did this. I couldn't believe how much university changed from one, one of my friends and I talk about it. I met him in business law and they, the lecturer said, I will see 40% of you back here next year. Yeah. Wow. You would never, ever say that in a lecture in the early 2000s or you know, 2010s yeah. anymore. Because now you pay to pass. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that universities work as a business is very, very different. So whereas when I went through, only 50% of us got through in my speech degree. I mean, we were all, they were all probably a lot smarter than we were in my management communication. But, you know, like, I think there was probably five people that didn't. 
I'm going to say girls because they were predominantly girls, um, five girls that didn't get through okay. yeah. in the four years. Yeah. Like it's just a completely different way about thinking about university and how it goes and what you do, which is probably one of the biggest changes that I saw, even from doing my master's, just how much it became a business and how much it was about we need to get you through this course and we need you to pass. Yeah. Wow. And I would say that, you know, as someone who works in universities, it is a shift that we have seen. Like it's gone from a, it is a very consumer driven model. And mm. you, you see it even in the ads for RMIT. We are here for you 24-7. Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. Um, you know, where's the onus on the student to put in the work to actually pass? So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it, like, it, was, it was fascinating as a person who'd gone through that whole other system. I was like, wow, this is so different. Yeah. Um, did you get into the university life? You know how there's definitely a lifestyle around university, or were you uh, too old f- by then? You're, I, you know in my first saying? year, I was like I was hardly ever there. And then, but what I did get into was studying in the library. So yeah. I found my house became. I do not study in my house. I study in the library, which okay. had probably come out of my masters um, in marketing, where we'd all go to each other's houses yeah. and study. And I can't study at home. Yeah. yeah which is where COVID became really interesting, but that's a whole different conversation. So when did you finish your undergrad? Started in 2013. And then, so at the end of 2013, I thought this is what I want to do, but I had these two awful, four awful subjects that I was like, if I do these, I'm going to stab my eye out. So I went, stuff it. I'm going to try and see if the university will let me do second year and the rest of first year and second year together. So I made an appointment to see the head of school and she said, yes, if you can make the timetable work, you can do it, which I was like, great. So I did. <laughs> so I quit work um, at the beginning of 2014 and went to university full time doing six subjects, um, which was a bit cray cray. So six subjects a semester. I did six subjects in the first semester. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot. It was a lot. It's like doing your TE again. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> But I'd gone from working full time and studying part time to just Studying full sort of time. studying full time. So, it, and I've and back to the twelve weeks. It was twelve weeks of hell. Like I had, we got to exam time, and I had an exam in the morning, and I had an exam at nine, and an exam at eleven. Yeah. And it's like it was twelve weeks of really, really hard. But it actually, I got out of a couple of subjects um, for second semester, so then I was only doing the equivalent of five. Yeah. And then I start, and I got a part time job, and it was fine. And then I got into third year and I just did normal third year and fourth year. And for those, for that 12 weeks or 14 weeks or whatever it was of absolute hell, it took a whole year off my degree. So of full time, which four years full time probably would have financially completely ruined me, whereas Mm. three years probably just partially ruined me. Yeah. Yeah. The financial part was also a big changed going from a you know pretty big oh, well-paying job single income home yeah. on a single income home to um <laughs> a no income home. <laughs> to a no income home for most well yeah I got a part-time job but I was on our study for the first time in my life because I've never gotten our study before yeah. so I mean the financial thing is pretty massive yes and you knew the end was in sight yes and so you finish your degree yep and then how do you go about getting a job then so I had done one of my... So we had to do placement as part of uni, possibly the hardest thing I've ever done, ever. I, Why was that? 
because I one I had to learn to be bad at things again. So I'd gone into marketing. I'd been in marketing for twenty years. Everyone would come to me as the expert, and I was quite expert in what I did. And then I remember sitting in one of my first placements and watching my supervisor, my clinical educator, doing some stuff and just going, "How am I ever going to do that?" And mm. then I'm with doing starting to do some stuff with one of the kids and just going. I am so bad at this. Like, I am really shit at this. And then I went, oh, I haven't shit at it because I've been doing it for like two weeks. Yeah. And it's okay. And yeah. then I sort of gave myself a break to go, It's actually, this is a whole new skill. Of course I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. But when you've kind of come from being the expert and then to go back to being a beginner, that was really, really hard. Yeah. I found that incredibly difficult and once I kind of realized it was okay to be a beginner it was easier but it was still really really tricky yeah um in terms of just being okay it's okay to be bad you don't have to be the best you don't have to be perfect because you're learning I'm learning I'm here to learn that's yeah. what I'm here for did you find that because of your age the expectation on you was different as well let's yeah. say if you were 20 I think the expectation is just different because you've got different life skills. So yeah. the things that you understand um, are very different to the things that you understand when you're 20. I remember having a we were going into an exam and there were two two of the girls that I knew quite well and I became you know like the girls were awesome. The girls that I went to uni with I become became very good friends with them, and they were great. Like. They took an old lady on. I'd, I'd joke about it and I'd say, I'm embracing my old mature age experience. You have to deal with this is who I am, which is kind of how I got through all of that stuff. Um, and they got to appreciate that I would ask the questions that they would never ask. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember we were, we were in anatomy and um, in second year and the lecturer was taking... We were in a chute. The chute was taking us through all this stuff and I just put my hand up and I said... Um, can you tell us when in the lecture you actually went through this? Because I really don't remember. And she goes, oh, no, it wasn't in the lecture. And all the girls just looked and went, oh, thank God you asked. And they came <laughs> up to me and they said, we were so glad that you asked that. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've always been someone who really didn't care about what people thought when I asked a question. They knew that I would ask all the things that they didn't want to ask and they knew I didn't care if I looked a bit stupid. So... The girls were, like, getting all worried. I think it was our linguistics exam, which was the hardest subject ever. And if someone had said to me I had to learn so much grammar, I probably never would have become a speech pathologist. Yeah. Because I hated grammar, always. And now I know more about it than I care to think about. But they were like, oh, you know, we have to do really well and la, 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 la. And I looked at them and I said, look, there's probably going to be two times in your life ever that your marks actually make a difference. And they're like, no, 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 Anna. And I'm like, yeah, look, there's two times. One is if you're going, your very first job, and if you're going for someone, you and if someone are going for the same job and you match on personality, you know, fit, all the things, and then if the last, if they can't, and there's something between you, they will do it and they'll look at your marks. Yeah. I said, the only other time that it will matter is if you apply to get into another university course. Yeah. Otherwise, nobody will ever care yeah. whether you got 51% or 91%. They will just accept you for who you are and the personality that you are. So, and it was very funny because one of the girls I then caught up with once we were, he had graduated. And I said, do you remember when I told you that? And she said, 
yeah. She said, I didn't believe you, but you were right. <laughs> <laughs> so how many years have you been a speech pathologist now? Six. This Six is years. my seventh year. It's got so fast. I know. I still remember you at uni. Um, yeah, me too. Wow, six years. Yeah, so I did a placement. So I work, I work predominantly in disability now. Yeah. Um, I work across the lifespan, as yeah. I used to get told. So yeah, my youngest client is, I think at the moment, I had a three-year-old at one point, but I think that at the moment they're six. And my oldest is 72. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I had a placement, so I had a clinical educator and I had a placement in disability. And that was kind of my foray into the world of disability and I really enjoyed it yeah um and then with the NDIS coming in it was probably good timing a good time and I kind of when I knew about the NDIS I kind of went I think that's where I'm going to end up because I could see even then my business skills that I had and then these new clinical skills that I was building were going to kind of end up being something that was very unique yeah um in what I could offer um, but I had a, I was very adamant that I would spend the first five years just working on my clinical skills and I wouldn't try and bring any of that kind of business side into it. Cause I, I was like, I know how to be a business person. I need to learn how to be a speech pathologist. Yeah. Um, it's a very wise thing. Yeah. And it kind of helped me sort of not get involved in things that I wanted to get involved with cause I knew how to do them. Now looking at your job, what do you get out of it? I have the best fun. Yeah. I have so much fun. Um, you get to sing. I do get to sing. <laughs> <laughs> I get to sing and um, so I mainly work, my favourite area is to work with people with really complex communication. So I, I work mainly with nonverbal people. I'm a speech pathologist but yeah. most of my clients don't speak and they use machines to talk. So iPads, devices yeah. and I set them all up and help them and get there. Um, yeah, it's so rewarding. Like the the worst day of my job is still like better than most of the really good days of my job in marketing. Wow. But, you know, it's different. It's, you know, people talk to me, you know, um, because I work in disability, I've had to deal with quite a lot of death um, yeah. and I've had quite a number of clients pass away, which is really hard or, you know, be in hospitals and, and you know, illnesses and stuff. But it's just a really different stress. So it's not a better stress. It's just really, or more stressful than being in marketing. It's just a really different stress. Yeah. And I can't explain the two yeah. other than just saying they're really different. Because I probably was more stressed in my marketing job than I am in my speech pathology job. But for really different reasons. Like, because I've known you for a long time through yeah. both, you know, both career yeah. projections. And... Um, I can't get over sometimes when we meet up the joy you have talking about some of your clients yeah. and the connection that you have and the accomplishments that they've had, like the joy you take in the steps that they, the leaps and bounds they go through. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And that's what is the, the best about it. You get to goof off, you get to sing and dance. Oh, I get and to sing and dance. There's, <laughs> you know, it just fills your heart with joy and my heart gets filled with joy, you know, very often. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that it just when you're making money for people to make more money to make more money, you just don't get that same sense of fun and joy out of it. That's really I mean, it's really interesting um listening to you 
talk about that kind of paradigm shift because it's almost like when you're working in the corporate and you're working for people to get more money and the stress for that it is stressful for a bottom line and it's a stressful for an outcome whereas in potentially what I'm hearing from you is in this new role and your relationship and your connection yes it might be stressful but it's stressful around a person-centered kind of approach and yeah. trying to do the best for a person yeah stress which is a very different it's type. very yeah when I was in especially when I, a couple of my roles you know I needed to make money because I knew if I my products didn't do well then other people would lose their job yeah or when I was at Telstra it was like the job that I was doing was actually you know trying to change business processes to get people online which would meant that other people were going to lose their jobs yeah. so there was kind of there was never any joy in that whereas what I do now there's always joy. There's always joy to be found. Yeah. You know, there's something silly or crazy happens and you like. If you were to give advice to someone else, because, you know, um, I feel like the younger generations coming through, it's not unusual for them to do career changes. Yeah. Like that's almost one of the characteristics is that they can reinvent themselves. Mm. But older generations, and I'd put myself in that, like I've been in the same kind of... I've been in the same organisation since 2009. It's a brave thing to change. So what's your advice to people who are in this generation considering a career change? I was lucky because I didn't have any family or anything, so I could just kind of do it. And I I was very lucky that my friends were really supportive. My parents were incredibly supportive of, you know, their only child going, I'm just going to leave this and... (laughs) become as beachy. It was still tough though. I can remember. Yeah. You, you did it tough still though. You yeah. were really brave. Yeah, it was I I still to this day oh sorry, I'm gonna go backtracking again yeah. and I'm all over the shop. Um the day that I resigned from Telstra, I had my boss lived in Queensland and she was in Melbourne and I was like I have to tell her today because yeah. she was going the next day. And then she'd asked to bring forward our meeting. And, um, and I just went, stuff it, I'm not gonna tell her. I'll, I'll just do it over the phone later. And then my phone rang and it was my psychologist <laughs> about something, you know, about changing the time of our appointment. And I was just looking at it going, I ever wanted a sign that I meant to resign? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's the, just the mere fact of seeing his, num- his name on my phone, I went, okay. Clearly, and I'm like, I can't believe. And then, he, you know, I spoke to him. I'm like, I can't believe you've just rung me. And he said, Why? I said, Because I'm meant to go and resign now. And he goes, Yeah, and you're going to go and do it. And I was like, Yeah. And to be fair, look, I did talk through all of these things with a lot of my friends and my psychologist and everyone to make sure. And I think that's probably what would my advice would be: is talk to people. Yeah. Um, and when I sort of said to people, I think I'm going to be a speech pathologist. Nobody went, What? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, they all kind of went, oh, yeah, that sounds like you. Mm. And one of my friends who is a speechy and has only ever known me as a speechy, he's like, I can't ever believe you worked in corporate. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I did and I loved it. But I think that was part of it as well was I, I left before I hated it. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I did actually leave before I hated Like it was a big leap of faith, but I could see the writing on the wall that I was going to hate it. Yeah. And I'm kind of really glad that I left before I hated it. And I, you know, like I still still had some of the best fun in marketing, but a very different kind of fun and, you know, very corporate fun. Whereas, you know, now it's, you know, 
me getting paint all over me and Play-Doh all over me. And yeah. And I, you know, I'm all about, I love making connections with people and, and, you know, my job really allows me to make those connections and to be part of people's lives. And, you know, it's been, you know, as you've been, I don't know, I'm going to go back to your podcast, but it's been interesting listening to you talk about all the family things. And um, there was another podcast on the Perfects about having children. She talked about her decision not to have children, but she also talked about the decision, the desire and the decision and separating those out. And it really spoke to me in that kind of way. Of, yeah. You know, I had the desire to make things change, but then I had to make the decision about what I was going to do and kind of bringing those together. And, and I did manage to separate them out. And I think that's a really big thing to think about as well is sort of separating out where, what's your desire and then what's your decision and what do you want to make? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was big and it was scary and it was hard, you know. I think the hardest thing was probably being broke you know, going for, <laughs> for going to be broke all the time. And we and f- I hadn't realised the freedom of not having to worry about money. And even though I kind of did worry about money when I was in corporate, I didn't realise how much I didn't worry about money. Yeah. Um, but and sometimes I'm not sure if it's like I have to tell myself that I made the right decision because otherwise it's too much cognitive dissonance. But my friends who have known me have all said, you know, I'm much more relaxed and I'm much happier. And, you know, I think, you know, it is still stressful, but it's just a very different... It's much more emotionally stressful. Um, I couldn't work the hours that I used to work in corporate. Like, you know, if it was sort of 50, 60-hour weeks, I couldn't do those mm. in the job that I'm in now. I can still work more hours than probably a lot of people do because I'm just used to doing that and that's kind of my how I work, but not to the same extent. Like, if someone said to me, Annie, you got to work till 11 o'clock, I'd go, no. Can't yeah. do it. Whereas I could do that in corporate. I was also a lot younger, <laughs> which probably helped. But yeah, it, the emotional energy that it takes out is very draining. And I know Fiona's talked about that as well as like being a dentist. Like when you're working with people and you're caring for people, it's a very different type of energy that mm. it takes. Um, so you have to reserve some for yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. So you can be Anna every time. Yeah. You know that you can be that person every time. Yeah, and yeah. it was interesting where we were at camp. Um, I was had a girl who was a young woman who was working with me, and she was like, "You just turned it on," and I said, and then I, I said, "And then I just turned it off." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she was doing all the cleaning, and I was just sort of like lying back, going, "I just need to." Yeah, then, then and then I just you know turn it on yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. But and that, that turning it on and off, you know, can take take a bit of energy. But you know, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I I remember you through all this journey, Anna. It oh, was yeah. pretty incredible at the time. I remember the hard times and the good times, and I just I just really keen to have you on because you're just. I can see the joy you get from your job, like when we meet up and you talk about your clients and the things you're doing and the difference you're making and the feedback you're getting. So you definitely made the right decision and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our podcast today. I really thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming. And you've got to watch Pretty in Pink. Okay, I promise. (laughs) Or Breakfast Club, one or the other. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. You're funny. That's so good. 
Hi, Fiona here. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the XYZ Experiment podcast. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. If you enjoyed our show, tell all your friends and family and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at the XYZ Experiment for all the latest updates and news. Our original music was composed and performed by Luke Champion. 